Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. Hey, welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti. Uh, I've got a good young friend, a young friend um, of both uh, Preston and Parker's, um, Ty Olson. Ty, welcome to the program. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having yes. me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I ask you, um, there's lots of different things that you want to talk about, but there is something near and dear to your heart um, that I know that um, a lot of young men, especially, and I'll say this, I'll say this, all men, young or old, really need to hear this message. Um, and I love that you're going to be sharing this, uh, just kind of what God has put on your heart. He's put it on your heart because he's kind of given you a particular skill, um, talent, and gifting uh, to lead worship. And so uh, worship is, is a really important part of, um, of your ministry, of your life, um, of how you draw close to God. And so um, just the whole idea of what does it mean to worship, men are made to worship, um, the importance of that, and specifically, um, you know, singing in church, right, and, and singing praise to the, to the Lord. Um, I was just looking at the, the last five psalms that are in Scripture, right, from 146 to 150, all start with the same verse, right? You know, 146.1, 1, 147.1, 148.1, they all start with um, praise, the, praise the Lord. And so um, just that whole idea uh, that God asks for our praise, um, uh, in, a, in a sense, uh, he commands our praise, but he also gives us an opportunity uh, to praise him. There's nothing more important that we could do. Um, you know, in our, in our day or with our life, and then, then give praise to whom it is due. And so, Ty, um, just how did how did this happen? Um, how has God kind of placed this upon your life? And let's have a conversation, uh, helpfully uh, encouraging men to really wrestle with this concept. Yeah. Um, well, it begins like I've always really, really loved music, and so I get to serve as a worship pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Rogers, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. Lead worship for seventh through twelfth graders on the daily, but I knew growing up, um, this is funny, but like, even like when my mom would be like pushing the vacuum, I would be like matching pitch with the vacuum. Cause I no just way. like, so it's like my earliest memories of music is me just like humming and singing. And I, my brothers are always getting annoyed with me. I'd be singing while I'm playing Xbox or singing in the back of the car. And so singing is something that I've done my whole life and I love it. Yep. So now that I have to do it for a job, it's just like a dream. That's um, so cool. But as I've really stepped into this role, and kind of learned God's heart for singing and God's heart for worship and things like that. Um, it kind of strikes me that not only is this a, um, a good thing to do, and not only is it like a commandment from the Lord, but it also is, I think, one of the mediums of grace by which God wants to bless his people. Like, I truly believe oh, that. Yeah. And yeah. so the thing that uh, I think is so interesting is um, a lot of people in our country and in our church have such a low view of singing, but they'll go to a church that will spend if not more of the time, just singing songs. And the only times that we sing songs are the national anthem or when we sing them at church. And so it's really funny to me that we're in a culture that doesn't view singing as much more than just an expression of the arts or something fun to go do on the weekends, as opposed to um, our Jewish brothers and sisters throughout the eras of history viewing the Psalms and viewing songs of praise as mediums of God's grace to his people. Right, right. As I kind of wrestled with this idea, I really am convicted that um, men specifically, like, because too, sometimes 
in, in a negative way, singing is seen as kind of like a feminine thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if men can learn how to sing, I think it'll revolutionize the way that we experience life and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So. Yeah, I think something interesting, um, you know, Scripture gives the male a very interesting place within the spiritual realm, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the helm of leadership. Um, and, and just that idea that if men are not leading in all areas and all facets, um, then I think it's very difficult for others um, to follow in that. And so I, I think, you know, uh, when you talk about singing, um, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, worship leaders are male, such as yourself. But when you right. look around the congregation, the people who are engaging uh, in worship, um, I would I would agree with you. I think there's a, a lot of um, females, right? That it's okay to praise and worship at the top of your lungs and, and really just, you know, enjoy the freedom that you have to give God all the glory that is due. But for men, it seems like, um, and, 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 you know, kind of tell me if you, if you see something different. Um, I think it's okay for men to be Bible scholars. Uh, and, you know, once the pastor opens up the word of God, you know, men take out their pens and, you know, it's okay to, to engage in that gut regard, but, it, but I agree with you that the, the worship time um, and really kind of worship music, it seems like it's still a, a part of it in this culture, um, that that's something that isn't necessarily celebrated, uh, right. you know, by all men. And so I think it's an important thing, as you said, it, it's an avenue for God's grace to be received. But I also think it's an important thing that, you know, when you think about uh, as you're in church, you know, I think young people are watching you. Um, and if you are supposed to be leading, right, there's young people watching you saying, hey, what's important to this guy, right? This is a guy who loves the Lord. He's supposed to um, help me understand what it looks like to to walk this particular journey. Um, right. And, you know, one of the things, and, and I'll say maybe I shouldn't be paying attention, looking around the congregation while worship music is going on and I'm supposed to be singing, but uh, but I will. And I'll say I'll, I'll see a lot of guys who won't be singing at all. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's a that's a disappointment. I know you must see something similar when you're up on stage as well. I think um, and I, I think you're right on the money with that. I think for some reason it's been stigmatized and it's like celebrated for a man to engage his, his mind specifically. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. good for intelligent and thoughtful and even like street smart and good with their car and having all this like smart, wise things to do. But when it comes to the emotions, we get far less comfortable. And it's like how like how does a a biblical strong man how could he cry during a worship song that's kind of the antithesis and i think what the bible is teaching is that these aren't actually opposing views but they're a beautiful combination of what the bible teaches manhood to be is not only one ages because when jesus tells us to love him the most important commandment it's love the lord your god with all of your mind with all of your soul but with all of your heart Heart. you know not only is it engaging god with the things that you can do and with your will and with your strength but it's also engaging god with your affections and your emotions and i think if we cut that slice of the pie out then if you do the math on that then that means we can only 66 percent of the picture we're kind of good on but what about that other third what about engaging the emotions what about the things god wants to do there um and it was funny that you mentioned it earlier because i think psalm 149 is like one of my favorites and really I okay um psalm 149 as i was reading i think lays out what um i think just like a couple of really really interesting things that I believe the Bible is not only um, describing what the people of God were doing in the past, but also giving them an opportunity of saying, hey, this is what worship can look like. And it's okay and it's beautiful. It looks like these things. What's funny is, like you said, Psalm 149 opens with that word in the Hebrew, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's like, hey, let's celebrate the goodness of the Lord together. And then one of the first things it says 
is let's sing his praise together. So let's sing his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. That's kind of cool. So it says, not only celebrate, also sing to the Lord. And then it says, it goes further. It says in verse two that we're supposed to rejoice and we're supposed to be glad and we're supposed to celebrate with dancing. And remember that God takes the light in his people and he crowns them with victory. Like the opening four verses of this psalm are aimed at the heart. It's like yeah. when you gather together, like not that we do this at our church, and I'm not saying that it's good or that it's bad, but the people of God's worship should be marked by a spirit of joy and a spirit of celebration and a spirit mm. of dance and praise. Because if the truth of the fact that Jesus Christ paid my debt on the cross and subsequently walked out of the grave, but knowing that he didn't walk out of the grave alone, but that I actually walked with him into new life, I feel like that demands something like in my response. That should demand some sort of emotional response to me. If the truth of this has really settled itself into our heart, I truly think that joy has to be a natural response. And so not that being stoic is a bad thing. My dad was a farmer from Wisconsin. And when he's really in the throne room, when he's worshiping, I'll look and his eyes will be closed and his jaw will be clenched and he'll make himself really small. And it'll look like he's not even worshiping, but yeah. he is so in the throne room because that's how he responds. But that's his expression of joy is just sitting and receiving the goodness. But the thing that makes me afraid is some people in our con congregation, and especially men, like young men, who will not allow themselves with their hearts to connect emotionally with what's being sung because it seems to kind of stigmatize or maybe it's kind of lame. Or if a tear drops down my right eye, what's my wife going to think to the right of me that she sees, you know, it's like. I just think there's so much to be said about the joy that we can experience in worship. And I think that's what the psalmist is trying to say. Yeah. So. You know, I also think about um, when I go back in scripture um, into the book of Exodus um, and the, the first time that we really see kind of God giving spiritual gifts, um, a gifting of the Holy Spirit um, are to two artisans, right? Are to yep. two people who are craftsmen, who are artists, who are um, making things, right? Including um, making the ability to make music. And so, um, you know, you think about that, that concept is, you know, from the very beginning, um, God has set aside his people for, um, and, and, you know, you said this, it's, I think there's, there's a way for us to receive, um, you know, the, 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 in a sense, um, receive from God, right, through the reading of the word, through prayer, through praise and worship, right, through singing. Um, but I also think it's, it's our opportunity to demonstrate to the world, right, right. that we, have a belief in God that we believe that there's something greater, right? Yes. And I think you know when when I have a, a quiet time in my room uh, and I'm reading the Word of God, um, you know, not everybody sees me and, and can pay attention to that. But singing is a way for us to do a, you know, a visual uh, representation to show the world, hey, this is this is what I praise. This is what I worship, right? The word worship literally means right worship, right? It's what do you give worth to? Um, and so as men, we're, we're not afraid um, to tell you who our favorite sports teams are, uh, to right. go to the game, uh, to dress up in the team colors of our favorite, you know, team, right? I mean, you, you, you know, woo pig suey, right? You go there and you got all your, you know, Arkansas red on. And oh, there's not a soul in the stadium that's like looking around nervous to express their love or their. It's true. <laughs> when, yes. When you call the hogs, everybody's in there calling the hogs. And it's like, and then, right, that's. That's, you know, the Saturday afternoon game. And then on Sunday, when you go to worship service, right, you're not calling the hogs, right? You're, yep. you're just demonstrating to God that he is worthy of your worship. And so many men, right, will take a, you know, a front seat calling the hogs and a back seat calling on the name of the Lord. Yeah, I think that's so true. I, uh, when you were talking, it reminded me of this quote from one of my favorite authors. 
and his name is William Law, and he he has this book called A Serious Call to a Devout to a Holy Devout life. and Holy Life, one of my favorite books. But listen to this quote he has in there about singing. I just think it's so good. He says, "Singing has a natural effect of joy in the heart." And so he's basically saying like, even when you sing, you're in the car and you're blaring Taylor Swift and you're singing, it you don't even have to teach yourself. You start smiling. You go listen to really good music. You start smiling. This is what music can do. But he says, but so also it has a power of rendering the heart joyful. Mm. He says there's nothing that so clears away for prayers, that so disperses dullness of heart, nothing that so purifies the soul from foreign little passions, nothing that so opens the heavens or carries hearts so near it as songs of praise. Yeah. And so he's describing it. It's almost like he's saying singing isn't just like the thing I do. Like we all have that friend that when they get excited, they start singing. You know, it's not just something we do in response, but it's also a discipline. Like I'm actually coming in and I've had students ask me when I'm worshiping on the side or whatever. Like, man, you always look like you're so into it. Like your hands are always up. You know, you're always smiling and all that. And, that. and they're like, how are you always feeling it every day? And I'm usually like, well, it's funny you say that. It's usually the opposite. Like usually when I come in, I'm, I'm not feeling it. And so what I'm going to do, the discipline that I'm going to do is to engage my heart emotionally and to choose to sing the songs joyfully, mm-hmm. even though I'm not. And it's cool, the, the impact that can have on ourselves, but also to just like from the father's perspective, the blessing that he receives when his children sing together and sing the truth, even when they're struggling to believe it. I think that's one of the most beautiful expressions of faith is, man, I'm struggling. Things are hard right now. My marriage, we're, we're working things out, but it's just tricky right now. Or my family's walking through something difficult. You know what I'm going to do when I walk into church today, I'm going to lift my hands and I'm going to celebrate joyfully. And I think God's response to that is to do what William Law says he'll do, which is to clear away for prayers and disperse dullness of heart. I truly think it is just such a profound gift from the Lord that if we're willing to actually accept it and use it the way that he intended, I think it would revolutionize the way that we experience God. I think if the guys I'm meeting with are kind of struggling and a question that bounces around in the back of my head is, I don't know how much they're singing. Like truly, like they're walking through difficult seasons, tough stuff. And even me as a worship leader, there's not many times where I'm singing and I'm not on stage leading worship. And that's hard to worship. Like it's kind of tricky to, because I'm thinking about what's my bass player doing? Like, are the lyrics right? Is the lighting, you know? But when I'm getting to be in the room and just worshiping freely, there's nothing that, again, like he says, there's nothing that opens the heavens or carries my heart so near it as singing together with people. I just think it's so profoundly important that the people of God engage in sing with their yeah. will too, just yeah. as a response, but truly like as a, as a discipline. So, yeah. well, I, I can't believe, right. Uh, Parker's always said, right. He's like, you know, Ty is one of my favorite people. Um, he has, he has such a depth to him. And, you know, and my thing is when you just quoted William law from a serious call to a devout and holy life, which is one of my top five, top five, top, top 10 books of all time. Right. It just, it, it has elevated you in my mind even more. So <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good. But here's the thing, you, you're too young to remember. And so I'm, I'm talking to some older guys now, guys who are probably, um, I'd say, you know, uh, 40, 50, 60, 70. Um, there was a men's movement that happened a number of years ago um, that was uh, called Promise Keepers. Um, yeah. And yeah, and you're, you're, you're too young. You don't even know. But we used to fill stadiums um, yeah. with men, right? This- and one of the, one of the things that they, that they did during Promise Keepers was they used to have shirts, um, that said, real men sing loud. And, you know, and it was just amazing to hear, yeah, 60,000 men at a stadium, um, all lifting up the name of the Lord. And here's the thing, when, when you know, when you're at church and there's everybody around you, like you said, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stoic and I'm trying to, you know, standoffish a little bit, but I'm going to tell you when you were with 60,000 other men in a stadium, right. And you could literally have the freedom to sing at the top of your lungs um, right. because the guy next to you had just as bad a voice as you did. Right? Um, but it, it was, there was something unique and something special about all those men um, praising the Lord. Right. And, and I was just like, you know, it'd be so neat if we could take that back into our churches and back into our homes. Um, and so, you know, that that movement has, has long since passed. But the, the idea and what I saw, uh, I think, is still a representation of what we need to see men do. Yeah. And too, like, I, th- I think um, also I was going to ask, was that the my officiant was the officiant of my wedding did Promise Keepers. And he has this like photo of like Washington, D.C. Yeah. And they like Washington. Was that Promise Keepers or was that yeah. something else? Yeah, there was a men's march on D.C., um, the, the Mil- Million Man March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they, where they filled the yeah the, the uh, yeah they filled the you know DC with a million men, um, all part of that whole Promise Keepers movement. It was so neat. Um, Coach McCartney from um, you know Chicago or from uh, Colorado, right before primetime got there. Um, you know they they he started that and uh, so many great guys. In fact, um, in a couple in in August, um, I'm going to be releasing the book for training for manhood that we're doing as our book study, and it's called Point Man. Um, and it's Steve Farrar's book that he wrote back in the 90s. And Steve Farrar was one of those early, you know, men's movement guys, um, you know, here at Stonebriar. Um, but, you know, so, so many guys were, were caught up in that uh, movement to call men back to be the leaders of their homes, their communities, yeah. and their churches for Christ. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you, worship was, was the foundation of that, right? It was, you know, it was uh, time in the word. Um, you know, and letting the word of God wash over you uh, and a, a natural outgrowth of that particular experience, right, was that your heart would be moved, not just your mind, right? Not not just, you know, that yes, there's things that I'm convicted of. Yes, my mind. Yes, there's, you know, uh, so scripture says the unfolding of scripture, um, right. you know, brings um, wisdom to the simple. So I get it. Right. But it, but there's also an emotional response. And, and you're right to say that, that, you know, as men, we should not be afraid to have an emotional response to something that is great, something that is grand, something that is majestic. And when we limit that, I think in some way we take away some of the majesty that God has given us. Right. That, that we have an emotional response about a number of other things that we feel are important. Um, but for some reason, when it comes to our spiritual walk and the majesty of God, we limit that. Yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, I think, I think of the amount of times that I've, um, in a moment of worship, or at some point, I've, I've come to the foot of the cross, and my response to just being there is just tears. Yeah. And so I don't think that my tears or my emotion actually says much about me as a person, as much as it says about the magnitude of the thing that I'm witnessing. And totally. so sometimes we're afraid to show our mm. emotion. It's saying less about you as a person and how emotional you are versus the beauty of the thing you're looking at. Now, yeah. I've been to uh, Yellowstone National Park and I've seen breathtaking views that have moved me so much that I'm watching, I'm like, wow, that's so pretty. But that's my response is, wow, that's really pretty. I'm gonna take a picture of that. As opposed to, <laughs> in the, I get to behold the beauty of God and I'm just undone in his presence. And yeah. that's a little more beautiful. And so I think sometimes our response to, um, again, like to a watching world is like, if, if the beauty of the story of Jesus and the beauty of the character of Jesus can compel me so much that I'm willing to lift my hands and joyfully smile and celebrate the goodness of God, I think a watching world is going to be like, he must be seeing something really beautiful. Like he yeah. must be seeing something really, really great. 
And you know, so, it makes me it makes me think about you. You just got married recently. Um, yes, you know, I've been, I've been married a little bit longer. Um, but there, there, yeah, there's there's some really neat um, opportunities, you know, and pictures and, and things like that, that, um, you know, when they open the doors um, for the bride, um, you know, to be to walk down the center aisle, so many people yeah. turn their focus and look at the groom. Um, right. And and just like you said, right? I mean, I, I just I remember that watching my wife walk down the aisle, and just thinking, you know, that that is such a beautiful picture, right? Of of you know the woman that I'm going to you know connect my life with, the woman who's going to be my wife, um, and it does it, it stirs your heart and it brings those emotions. But imagine that amplified to the nth degree of being in the presence of God. And I, I think there's so much, and so I think like again, like I think the natural response to seeing something beautiful is expressing that. Yes. Like when I watched the new Avatar movie, Avatar Way of Water, I thought it was great. The visuals were so good. And so you can imagine the next 15 conversations after I walked out of that movie theater, I was like, by the way, have you seen the new Avatar yeah, movie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's like if something is really compelling my heart, there's a part of us that like I'm really not experiencing this joy in completeness until I've shared this with somebody. Like, I really like right. I, as much as I love it, like you have the best chocolate cake of your life. How much do you really love it if you're not telling everybody, bro, you have to go to this restaurant. They have the bet, you know? And so mm -hmm. I think part of the joy too is in turn experiencing it, but being like, I cannot believe how sweet this is. I have to tell everybody. Wow. And so I think so that good. for our watching world, I think the way we worship and the joy we experience, I think is a better testament than our good theology and our good philosophy and our good conclusions. I think when they see our heart's response to the beauty of Jesus, I think that's compelling. So, yep. Man, Ty, that is good. I know guys out there are um, probably feeling convicted, uh, hopefully, about just kind of, hey, what he's saying, um, if it's true, uh, it should compel you to think about these things in a way that says, okay, then what's, what's my response? What do I do? And I think what you're saying is, um, as you spend time with the Lord, allow the emotional side to connect with the intellectual side. Don't wow. limit it. Right. But allow yourself to express yourself, not just in words. Right. But indeed. Um, and that is allow yourself to enjoy the, the worship. So next time you're at church or next time you're, you know, even in the car singing, you know, praise and worship music, allow yourself to really um, feel the emotions that God has given you to, to be able to feel. Yeah, I think like and again, like if if somebody doesn't want to take my word for it, too, of like. This is Ty's opinion about how important worship is and how important singing is. My favorite example in the Bible of singing by far, I think the most beautiful example of somebody singing and praising God, the most profoundly wonderful example of that in scripture is in the upper room when Jesus leads his disciples and he says, hey, here's my body and here's my blood and I want you to take mm. it. This is my body that's broken, the blood of the covenant that's poured out for you. But then it says in a, a verse I've skipped over, Matthew 26, 30 says, when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus, before he goes to the place of the crushing in Gethsemane, the night of his arrest, his very last night on earth with his disciples, he allocates that time to sing the Hallel Psalms, which is what they would have sung at Passover. That's, I think, 116 through 118. I think there's some dispute on it. But that's passages like, the Lord will not let his faithful one see decay, or um, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever, or... Mm. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Like I think singing a song on Sunday when I'm struggling is kind of hard. Like imagine in right before you're about to go to the garden, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, you're singing verses like that, yeah. you know, and so 
And then even more so, when Jesus is on the cross, he cries out in a loud voice, you know, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes Psalm 22.1, and I don't want to stretch the scriptures or eisegete or say that it's saying something, but it says he he cried out this in a loud voice. Who's to say that Jesus didn't sing Psalm chapter 22? And then the very last verse of Psalm chapter 22 is he has done it. It's completed. And Jesus cries out in a loud voice. It is finished. I think some people could say that Psalm 22 is the song that was on the lips of Jesus when he was on the cross. Mm. And if Jesus in the last 18 hours of his life will dedicate some of his very last breaths to the praise and the worship of God, I think that should tell us that he has a profoundly deep and important and valuable view on what worship can do for us and the importance of worship and singing because Jesus Mm. gave his last breaths doing it. And so at the very least, if I'm skeptical of the idea or not sure if I want to engage or whatever that would be, I would say, you, you don't have to take my word for it. My word's worth a grain of salt. But Jesus himself did this on the day, his very last day on earth. And I just think that's not worth skipping over. So, yeah, no, that's that's good. And uh, Ty, your words are worth a lot more than a grain of salt, even though salt <laughs> Maybe is two. important. Maybe, Maybe two. two. No, but yeah. uh, I do. I appreciate you uh, just coming on, uh, sharing with oh. us. Um, I, I appreciate um, your, your life, your work, your ministry, your marriage, right? Say hi to Darcy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and just what a blessing it is to just be able to spend some time with you today. It was so fun. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thanks, Ty. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.